each week in this series, I've uh, made mention, and I will right on through the series, is that uh, above and beyond what we're emphasizing, what's good for us, I, I want to emphasize something that unfortunately has become quite confused through the years uh, in places like this, unfortunately. And it's this notion that God is this sort of a small-minded being who we can easily find some way to appease, and that's what it's all about. You know, you just kind of figure out what do you have to do to get God off your back and get him on your side. And so maybe if I, if I go to church, may, maybe then he'll bless me, you know, and he'll be on my side. Or maybe if I read certain things or believe certain things or light some candles or give some money or something like that. And, and all these ideas about God, these notions, some of the, the most absurd things like, oh, me and the man upstairs have a special understanding ridiculous ridiculous do you realize how small and unintelligent and small-hearted that would make God uh, when scripture is trying to describe God it usually describes him as a father he loves us with this intense comprehensive love therefore he is utterly committed to what is actually good for us and he wants us to trust him and then learn to live according to our design which is the way he created us Nothing less than that could ever satisfy the comprehensive love of God. And so these notions that we can just kind of figure out the formula to get God on our side and just live any old way that we want, what parent would, you know, agree to terms like that with their child? So I wonder if it's good for me. This is based on the heart of God who desperately wants what is actually for our highest good. Now, what I said in the very first message was this. I made a discovery. We have a little slogan here. Not everything that initially seems good to me is ultimately what? Good for me. We've all experienced this. I tried some things. I experimented some, some things. You, you have too. It initially seemed good to me. It seemed pleasurable maybe, but I ultimately found it wasn't good for me. Second part, very critical. When I live knowingly or unknowingly in accord with my design, it is what? It's good for me. We have a design. We didn't choose it. You, you have to, you know, uh, breathe. You can't live unless you breathe. You have to drink water. You have to sleep. You have to eat. You have to move. It's part of your design. But we also have a design mentally, emotionally, uh, you know, morally. That's part of our design, too. And the Scripture tells us right in the very beginning of the Bible, first book, chapter Genesis 1, 27, that we're made in the image of God. Your design, my design, is to be a being whose personality, whose character is like God. Therefore, certain things work well with my soul. Listen, we, we all know this stuff experientially. If you do something really ruthless and shady and dishonest, you're troubled. But if you do something really kind and benevolent and generous, you feel good. Why? The one way you're living counter to your design, the other way you're living in accord with your design. All right. So we've looked at several things as we've gone through this series, and today we're going to turn to the subject of uh, habit. And habit is one of those things that, uh, you know, about 40% of what you and I do every day, we kind of do on automatic pilot. Uh, we've developed habits through the years, and some of these habits are good for us, and some of these habits are not good for us. Now, I think I have that next little, little grid, the way that we've discerned in here that we can tell if something is good for us or not good for us is by testing it through this little grid. Whatever draws me closer to Christ my creator 
and moves me to live in accordance with his word, will, and ways is good for me. Doesn't mean if, if it's easy initially or pleasurable initially, that doesn't mean anything unless it actually is drawing me closer to Christ my creator. And I, and I don't mean that in some mystical way. That's why I added the rest of this statement. To live, to actually live, to change my life, to mold my life, to shape, to shape my life in accordance with his word, which is where I find his will and his ways, then whatever's drawing me in that direction, that's good for me. Whatever it is, it might be a hard time in life, but it's drawing me that way, that's good for me. On the contrary, whatever draws me away from Christ, my creator, it might be great success, it might be great popularity, it might be something that's initially pleasurable to me, but if it's drawing me away from Christ, my creator, and it's keeping me from living in accordance with his word, will, and ways, it's not ultimately good for me. Because I am designed to be a being that lives in a very close, trusting relationship with my creator. It says that I'm made by Christ and I'm made for Christ, and my life won't cohere unless... I have that kind of a trust relationship with Christ as the uh, centerpiece, the anchor of my life. Well, habits. Now, you know, we all have them. Like I said, about 40% of what we do, it's our habits. And our habits, they first are something that we form, and then later they form us. Just to, you know, let this sit in your mind a little bit. I think we, actually that comes later. Just hang on. We'll, we'll, we'll get that later. But uh, some of the habits that you and I have that people develop, we develop quite unintentionally. Uh, probably some of us in here are nail biters. And it's not like you made a big decision at some point in your life and said, gee, I really admire the way that looks. I'm going to start by biting my nails. I'm going to practice hard to develop the technique to bite them right down to the quick, you know. It's not like you do that. There are some things that grab us. We never intended it. It just grabs us and it becomes a habit. We know that there are certain uh, drugs, for example, that the very first time they are used, you know, it can immediately become an addictive habit. Now, here's the irony. The things in life that give us immediate, or an, I don't know if I phrase this correctly, an immediate sense of pleasure tend to form into habits easier. The hardest habits to form are those that are what I'm going to call value-based decision habits. In other words, a value-based decision habit. I see something that is good, it is worthy, and I am now going to form a habit to acquire it, to obtain it, to make it part of my life. For example, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but probably, hopefully, a lot of us in here floss, okay? But do you like it? No, who likes flossing? Listen, when they make the cheap flossing robot, how many of you know I'm buying it? I'm getting the cheap flossing robot when it comes out. But we make a value-based decision that flossing is good for us ultimately, and so we deny our desire not to do it, and we do it, and we develop a habit. We get a routine. You know, before we go to bed or first thing in the morning, whatever your routine is, these are value-based habits I'll repeat what I said again. They are the hardest to develop, the hardest to keep, but they are by far the most important. The easiest habits to develop are those that give us immediate gratification or a sense of immediate gratification. In other words, it's, if it's a physical pleasure that we immediately get from something, that can become addictive really quick. 
If it's something that maybe gives us an immediate feeling of significance or importance or self-worth, that can also be intoxicating and develop a habit, even though it might not be good for us. If it's something that gives us a sense of security, even though it might be illusory, it's not real security, but it gives us a sense, you know, like having piles of money can make you feel secure, even though you're one heartbeat away from death, it can become intoxicating and a habit can be formed. So these immediate things tend to develop into habits very easily, but when you, when you make a value-based choice, those are the hardest habits to develop, the hardest habits to keep, and the most important habits, ironically. All right, there's a quote that I've used many times here, and I do so without shame. It's from Jeff Bridges. I think it was a 2016 interview he did in Rolling Stone, but it's, it's so good that I use it yet again. Uh, they were asking him, did he ever receive advice, you know, as a young man that was key? He says, my dad would say, it's all about habit, Jeff. You got to get into good habits. And I said, no, dad, you got to live each moment. Live it as the first one and be fresh. It goes on. And he says, that's a wonderful thought, but that's not what we are. We are, what does it say? Habitual creatures. And we are. And it's a good thing. I'll show you that in a minute. We are habitual creatures. It's about developing these grooves. As I age, I can see his point. What you practice, that's what you, what? Really important thought. Now that slide that I mentioned earlier, if I could go to it. We form our habits, and then what happens? Our habits form us. Do you really believe that? Because it's true. It's, it's the way that God designed us. God, God's got this brilliant plan for our character development. And it is a plan that requires, you've got to get this, because we sing so many songs in churches these days that talk about surrendering and passive worship and things. It is God's plan that we cooperate actively for the development of our character. He wants our character development to be authentic, something that we want and something that we want so badly that we will work at it. A lot of songs we sing in church, and I'm not trying to knock our songs because, you know, obviously we sing them, but, but they give this notion that if I, if I just surrender, if I just give it all, give it all to God, or I just surrender, that automatically he starts changing things inside me and I wake up being a different person. That is not biblical. That's not true. That's never going to happen. I'm not saying that surrendering our will to God isn't important, but that's, that's beginning stuff. That's when you first turn to Christ and put your trust in him. Your will is surrendered then. But then I can promise you one thing. If you don't put some biblical principles into practice, you will never grow. How many have known people that say they're followers of Christ, they've been followers of Christ supposedly for 20 years, but you don't see any change in their character at all? How many have known people like that? Can I see your hands? I know bucket loads of them. It's because God has this brilliant plan that our character is meant to develop in a cooperative working with God. He inspires us, he shows us truth, and then he waits for us to take some action. If I don't take the action, no growth, no change will come. And it's about habits. All right, so let, let's, let's kind of examine this, this capacity very conscientiously because the thing about this capacity for habit is what we all know in here. It can be a blessing and it can be a curse. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but we, we probably, most of us in here, could, could 
raise their hands and say, I've got some habits that I wish I didn't have, or I have at least had some. Others would raise their hand and say, you know, I, I know there's these things I want to be able to do, but I can't seem to get myself going and develop the habit. So this capacity for habit, it's a blessing. And it's, great. it's a blessing in that wouldn't it be a drag if every time you got behind the wheel of your car, you had to learn to redrive it like the first time you're, can everybody remember the first time you got behind the wheel of a car? It was a little bit scary, you know, or every time you went to put your shoes on, you had to relearn to tie your shoes. That'd be a drag. So God's given us this wonderful capacity, this, this neuroplasticity, these, these neural pathways in our brains that if we keep working on things, they get bigger and thicker. The actual structure of our brain changes, and we can actually change the very structure of our brains by focusing on things and then practicing or developing habits. The habits develop as these neural pathways thicken up. By the way, once that neural pathway gets nice and thick and big, changing it can be hard. And that's why it's so hard to break habits. All right, let's have a personal moment. How many in here have ever struggled to break a habit? You came to the conclusion that it was not good for you, and you decided you're going to break it, but, but you struggled with it. Can I see your hands? Yeah, that's why. This capacity for habit it's a blessing if we, de if we develop good habits. It's a curse if we develop those that are, that are not good for us. So here's a couple of verses that kind of just reinforce this. Uh, scripture teaches it all through. It says, An evil man will be caught in his wicked ways. The ropes of his sins will tie him up. The ropes of his sins is a colorful way to talk about it. It's his habit patterns that will tie him, steal his freedom ultimately, but it's his habits, it's his wicked ways. Another says in Proverbs 13, 4, the lazy person craves yet receives what? Nothing. But the desires of who are satisfied? The diligent, those that develop habits. Even though when this doggone alarm goes off, I don't feel like getting up, I'm going to get up. Even though I don't feel like fighting the traffic and going down the road, I'm going to fight the traffic and go to the road. Even though I don't feel like doing this monotonous job with this, this difficult boss and these backstabbing uh, employees, I'm going to do it. I'm going, you know, I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to work. I'm going to... Just desiring things doesn't amount to anything. Habits, habits are the power. There's a lady, her name is uh, Gretchen Rubin, and she had this to say in a book that she wrote, her book... Uh, Better than before, what I learned about making and breaking habits, uh, she called daily habits the invisible architecture of daily life. I like that, the architecture, kind of like the structure that holds everything together. We repeat about 40%, we've said this earlier, about 40% of our behavior almost every day. So our habits shape our existence and our future. She also added, our habits are our, what is the word? Destiny. You better be believing that. Our habits are, in other words, what you're going to experience five years from now, ten years from now, there might be some element of chance, we know that, but the big majority of it's going to be based on what your or my habits are. They're going to determine your destiny. Our habits determine our destiny, and changing our habits allows us to do what? To alter our destiny. You want your life to be different? You absolutely have the ability to do that. But it comes down to you and I examining our habits and then doing that hard work 
that hard work to change you. You know why some people never change? You know why some people just kind of go through the cycles and they say, oh, it's so hard and I want to change, and I, but I never do. You, you, do you want to know what the simple truth is? You, you know, we, we want somebody to give us a magic psychological formula to, to examine, you know, who we are and how we grew up and what happened to us and then give us a magical insight that just frees us up so that now we do the things that we wanted to do and we don't do the things we don't. It's never going to happen. The reason we don't change all right, this is deep. You ready for it? We just don't care enough. That's it. We just don't. We're not willing to work hard enough. We're not willing to sacrifice enough. We're not willing to deny ourselves enough. We're just not willing. No one else is responsible for my development and growth other than me. And the same is true for you. And if I'm not growing and developing, and if I am not changing... And if I'm not forming good habits and breaking old habits, it's because I don't want it bad enough. And I can prove that to you if, you, if I had time, because I can show you where the things we want bad enough, we do. And so it, it comes down to what is important. And that's why God's developed this methodology. He wants us to care and desire for the right things so passionately that we will move heaven and hell to acquire the habits, the traits that are righteous and desirable all right so we've kind of seen a little bit about this capacity let me share a, a word from jesus talking about habits a bit in john chapter 8 so jesus said to the jews who <clears throat> believed in him if you what is that big word continue how come we never read more about this stuff in, in these little gospel tracks you know like oh just ask jesus into your heart and you're you have eternal life and how come they don't say things like if you continue to what's that next thing obey if you continue don't just start don't just do it once if you continue to obey my teaching you are truly what <clears throat> let, let, let's reverse that if i'm not continuing to obey jesus teaching i am not truly his follower it doesn't matter what i say it doesn't matter how many prayers i've prayed it doesn't matter how many times i've come forward in some service or something it doesn't matter how many times i can remember the date that i wrote down in my bible where I prayed that sinner's prayer, it doesn't mean anything. God is a loving Father who wants a continuous relationship with those who actually trust Him, and those that actually trust Him do this. They continue to obey Jesus' teaching. They're really His followers. <clears throat> he says, now when you do this, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> when you continue to obey His teaching, you'll know, and it's know by experience, it's the Greek word gnosko, it's two different words. Order is I know a fact. Kenosko is I know by experience. <clears throat> I'll know by experience the truth, how I'm designed, truth about God, truth about life, truth about the way I'm really wired. And the truth will make you, me, what? Free. Now, we, now this is another thing. Christian songs use that word free a lot. Oh, he freed me. Jesus freed me. And I often think when I hear those words in songs, I wonder what that means to the people that sing them. Because when scripture uses the term free, it means I am free to live in accord with my God-given design. I'm free to live like Jesus. I'm free from sin, not just its penalty, which is what we sing about so often. But that's what the scripture means when it says freedom. 
It's freedom from those self-destructive desires, those deceptive desires that rip me to shreds, that Jesus has so won my trust, so enlightened me about the truth about himself and life that I look at sin as insanity. I look at it as poison. I walk away from it because I see that it can never work. That's, that's the idea there. So Jesus says that he wants us to form this habit of obeying his teaching and the result of forming that habit is we prove to be his real followers, but we also find freedom experientially. We come to find freedom. All right, so we've examined a capacity of, uh, of good habits or habits in general. Let, let's look at a proper exercise because this is where it starts to get, you know, really pertinent. It's, it's like, okay, so how, how do I exercise my ability to form habits or to destroy habits, how, how do I go about that? Now, there's a guy named Charles Shue, and uh, he's an author, and he, he wrote, this guy's not a, not a Christian as far as I know, but this is really interesting what he wrote. Uh, in an article in Quartz, author Charles Shue claims, in the time you spend, I don't know about how much you, you spend on social media, but in the time he's thinking the average person, you spend on social media each year, you could read 200 books. Now, I'm just going to ask you, how many wish that last year you read 200 books? How, how many wish you had? See your hands? Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a constant reader, but I'm telling you, I, I haven't read 200 books last year. Um, he says, in the time, and I don't spend any time on social media, but I still didn't read 200 books. But anyway, here's how he came to this. He says, to read 200 books, you simply spend 417 hours a year reading. The average single American spends 608 hours on social media. I don't know. It's just what Charlie said. And 1,642 hours on what? I know a little bit more about that one. <laughs> That's 2,250 hours a year. You could be reading over 1,000 books. So here's a guy who's done the calculations, and he says, do you really want to read? In essence, that's what he's saying, because we say things like, yeah, I really want to read more books. He says, do you? It's right there if you do the math. So how we exercise our will can be a very powerful thing. There's a verse that the Apostle Paul said to Timothy. Timothy was in overseeing the church at Ephesus at the time, and Paul wrote these words to him in the New Testament. He said, but keep away from those godless legends which are not worth telling, but keep yourself in, what is the word? Training. training. The Greek word there is gymnasia. We get our word gymnasium from it. It says keep yourself in training for what kind of a life? All right. Am I going to be a godly person if I don't keep myself in training, according to that verse? No. No. But, but wait a minute, I'm going to pray. I'm, go, I'm going to pray and tell Jesus, I surrender. You just make me as godly as you want to. I surrender to you, Lord. And is that going to make me godly? No. Go back to the verse. Keep yourself in training for a godly life. If I don't keep myself in training for a godly life, if you don't keep yourself in training for a godly life, you are not going to be godly. You're not going to grow. You're not going to develop. You're not going to change. Your habits, keeping yourself in training means I have to develop habits that are going to be more likely to cause me to be godly. Well, I don't know, just a couple off the top of the head. How about coming to church every Sunday that you're not, you know, with a dire disease? 
That sounds like a good habit to me. I formed that one way back at 23. Uh, how about reading God's word regularly, consistently, studying it, actually studying it, getting tools to study it. How about praying, talking to God each day, you know, pouring out your heart to him, uh, you know, involving yourself conversationally, spiritually with him all during the day. How about being a part of a growth group? How about joining a serving team? How about becoming a servant, you know, like Jesus, serving? I mean, these are my, how about learning to give? Do you know how we develop godliness? Okay. How many have ever wished you were a more compassionate person? See your hands? Me? You know what you have to do to develop to become a more compassionate person? You must get yourself around people in need of compassion. You know how you become a more generous person? You give habitually, consistently. You know how you become a more kind person? You do kind things every single chance you get. We become by doing. We get this reverse sometimes. We want to, we want to, become first we want to well I, I can't do it because i don't feel it. it's not authentic i don't really feel any compassion so how can i do compassion thing no 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 that's not the way it works you do compassionate things and you will develop compassion that's the way god designed us you're going to see this a little further down when i get into the the meat of this message in just a bit so <clears throat> train yourself to be godly and it goes on and i'm sorry I, <coughs> i'm trying to get this fog out of my throat here still fighting a cold can i see the the second half of that verse real quick or the whole verse yeah there we go although training your body has certain payoffs right you know everybody wants to you know these days lose weight get in shape blah 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 blah. although training your body has certain payoffs godliness benefits all things now get this holding promise for the life here now you want the best life ever become godly learn how god designed you and live that way It has benefits in all things, holding promise for the life here and now, and promise for the life that is what? There's a life coming. We are in training in this life for our positions that we will fill in eternity. And we're going to be entrusted with tremendous power. Once you get that resurrection body, uh, you're going to be able to do things that are going to blow your mind. But you can't just indiscriminately give power to people that don't have the proven character to handle the power. And so our, our character training here is not only a benefit, beneficial thing for this world, but it's benefiting and preparing us for the world to come. Now, it was interesting to me to just find out some of the, uh, the habits that, that people that are not Christ followers, but some of the effort, some of the work that they put into their, their trade. For example, Anthony Hopkins. Uh, when he gets a movie script, he reads through it between 100 and 200 times. I, I read that. I was amazed at that. He makes notes in the margins. He scribbles and doodles, and he imagines how it would look on stage and screen. By the time Hopkins is finished that script, it is internalized. Uh, Natalie Portman in, in the movie Black Swan. Uh, For her role, she trained with a New York City ballet dancer, Mary Helen Bowers, for eight hours a day, six days a week for 12 months. You talk about sacrifice. You talk about habits. You talk about this. And that's for a movie. That's for some money. Shia LaBeouf, or his role in uh, the film Fury, he trained with U.S. National Guard and was a chaplain's assistant in the 41st Infantry. During the filming, he didn't bathe for four months. 
that's rough, man. That's rough. <laughs> that's really want, wanting to get into your role. You see, we, we can do things if we care enough, if we want it enough, if it's important enough. These people prove it. They're not even Christ followers. You know what the average time is that the average American spends pertaining to spiritual things? Here it is. Nine minutes. Nine minutes a day. Now here's, the, you have to understand, this is based on the fact that some people may spend an hour or so a day and then other, other people, many people spend no time at all on spiritual matters. So, we can't expect much change, much development if we're not putting in the time. That's, that's pretty obvious. We all kind of know that. Now here's the thing. We hear this phrase a lot today, and, and, and you, you can tell me if you agree with this. Anything that I can dream, I can do. How many have heard that before? Anything I can dream, I can do. Doesn't that sound cool? Doesn't it, doesn't, isn't that inspiring? Anything I can dream, I can do. But it's idiotic. It's absolutely idiotic. I can dream of jamming a basketball. It is never, ever, ever <laughs> going to happen. Most of you could dream of jamming a basketball too, and it's never, ever, ever going to happen. So th th this is nonsensical stuff that we say in society today, and, and it just amazes me that nobody ever challenges this stuff. It's idiotic. But here's what is true. Whatever God has designed you to be and designed you to do, and this is way greater than any nonsensical dream we might concoct, Whatever God has designed you to be and you to do, me to be and me to do, I and you absolutely can do it, can become it. This is remarkable. Most people wander through their lives not having any sense of what the purpose of their life is. You in here have heard me probably say this so many times, you probably get sick of it. But I want to I lock it into your brain once again. If a person doesn't know their purpose, if they don't know their design, they have no clue what they can do, what they should do, what they can become, and what type of disciplines they should involve themselves in to become that. So here's a couple of verses just to anchor this to. Number one, God's purpose for our lives. Every one of us in here, here's his purpose for you. Becoming who God intends me to become. But who is it that God intends me to become? Romans 8, 29 explains it. Those whom he foreknew, now notice that, that's a group of people. There's some people that God foreknew something about. What he foreknew was that they could be reconciled to himself. They could be brought back to a place of trust in himself. Those whom he foreknew, that's a person, that's a who. He also predestined, that's a what. It's not the people that are predestined. It's a process. You'll see it. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of who? You are predestined to be conformed, metamorphosed is the Greek word, to be transformed to the image of Christ. Therefore, that's your design. You absolutely can become like Christ. You say, Randy, that's ridiculous. Nobody can become like Christ. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You're supposed to. It's your nature. You can. It's God's intention. 
He's going to, if you've returned to Christ and trust and become his follower, he's going to see to it that someday you will be completely transformed to the image of Christ. You'll still have your distinct, beautiful personality, the thing that makes you unique that God would never change. But it, you'll be a Christ-like version of that. Let's go back to that verse. Go back, back to that one more time. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. There's going to be a whole bunch of us, family of us, that are going to be these beautiful Christ-like people that are going to inhabit eternity with God and the, the faithful angels. So my purpose, your purpose, becoming who God intends me to become, your purpose, my purpose, doing what God intends me to do. And the doing helps toward the becoming. We have to, even though I have these in reverse order, the doing actually helps in this process of development. It says, for we are his workmanship, meaning God's, having, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared when? Beforehand, before you ever came into existence. There's a, there's a set of deeds for you, a set of deeds for me, yours are different than mine, that are for my development, and God wants us to fulfill them. And when we fulfill them, we grow, we develop, and we bless our time and place that we are living in. Doing what we were meant to do, becoming who we were meant to become. That is God's purpose for our life. We are designed to be Christ-like. Therefore, we can make tremendous progress, tremendous change, but it's going to be based on how we develop habits. So, let me break this down real, real practical for you. Listen to this verse from the New Testament book of Ephesians. Paul writing to the followers of Christ in Ephesus says, so, so get rid of your old self. No, he didn't say, go, 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 get, go get some therapy. Go, go get yourself some therapy. They didn't have therapists. He, he just says, get rid of your old self. But Paul, you don't understand, man. I had a tough upbringing. Um, nobody told me they loved me. Just get rid of your old self. Just get rid of it. If, if you put your faith in Christ, just get rid of your old self. Just do it, is what he's saying. Which made you live as you used to live, the old self that was being destroyed by its what kind of desires? I, I, I wanted things that I thought were good for me, but they turned out not to be good for me or good for anybody around me. They were deceitful desires. They promised me much. They gave me little. Okay, so I, I, I got I to gotta get rid of that old self. Your hearts and minds must be completely made new, and you must put on the new self. Well, tell me more about this new self, which is created in whose likeness? God's likeness. That's your design. That's my design. This new self, I'm to put it on. I'm to do it. Nobody's going to do it for me. God's not going to do it for me. I'm to put it on, but it's made to be in God's likeness, and it reveals itself in the true life that is upright and holy. I'm going to break this down for you and give you some principles. I wish I would have put this on a handout, but maybe we'll give you a handout later, you know, if it's helpful. But here you go. I'm going to walk through this again. Let's look at the first half of it. So get rid of your old self, which made you live as you used to, the old self that was being destroyed by its deceitful desires. Can I have the second part of this? Uh, you need a slide back there. There it is. Here's the process of getting rid of the old self. Wait, no, 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 I don't want that. I want that. Please don't do that anymore. <laughs> You're messing with me back there. <laughs> Debilitation of habits inconsistent with my design. In other words, it's breaking habits, breaking bad habits. Habits that are not consistent with my design. It's not going to happen no matter how much you pray, no matter how much you fast, no matter what you do. Unless you do this, you're not going to get rid of the old habits. All right, here it is. 
deconstruct your ritual or your routine. You've got to study, you know, what, what's my ritual or routine? If you've got a habit, a bad habit, I guarantee you there's a ritual or a routine. Uh, you know, let, let, let's just say you're trying to break the drinking habit or something like that. Well, you probably got a little liquor store you drive by every time in a place you go, don't drive there anymore, don't go there anymore. You're looking at things online you shouldn't be looking at. Stop going online. You say, Randy, are you kidding me? You can't live if you don't go online. If you care enough to stop your porn habit, you'll stop going online. And if you don't stop going online, in my opinion, you don't care enough about breaking your porn habit. You're kidding yourself. This is why we got people in groups, five years, ten years. They meet together and they talk about their problems and they pray for one another for five years, ten years, twenty years, and they still have the problem. There's something terribly abnormal about that. That's not biblical Christianity. And part of the problem, I think, is the, the fixation on the problem. You get with your group and you talk about your problem. What are you thinking about? You're filling your mind with the problem. You're not filling your mind with things that are going to help you to actually stop the problem. Let me go back to that slide. Got to go quick. Deconstruct your ritual routine. Nobody's going to do it for you. If you care, you'll figure it out. Discover deceptive desires that you're trying to meet through whatever this bad habit is and triggers. What triggers you to get into the ritual, to get this habit going? There are triggers. If you care, you'll find them. And if you don't find them, you will continue to be bound by the habit. Develop a design-based alternative. In other words, it's not enough to just put off the bad habit. You have to replace it with something. You can't live with a vacuum. So you've got to find, okay, what, what can I replace this habit with that's part of the way God's designing me? Unless you do those three steps. If I could go back to them, I, I know you want to see me, but I don't want to see them. Um, we're, we're going to get this big TV thing on stage so you can see me and them at the same time. It's going to be here next week, right? Yeah, next week. Please hear me on this. And, and, and if, you, if you need these, we'll, we'll print them out for you later on. Unless you and I deconstruct the ritual and the routine... Discover the deceptive desires that are behind it. It might be significant security, satisfaction, whatever it is, pleasure. Figure out the triggers and then develop a design-based alternative plan. You will, I will never break the bad habit. And you can be in a support group for the rest of your life confessing that, you know, you still have the problem, but you did pretty good this week. If that floats your boat, go for it, man. But that's a poor way to live as a follower of Christ. It's unnecessary. It's, it's below par. Let's look at the other side of this. Here's the second half of that. Your hearts and minds must be made completely new, and you must put on the new self, which is created in God's likeness and reveals itself in the true life that is upright and holy. So here's the put off, the first part. Put on is the second part. Let's look at it. Let me, let me show you the slide that deals with that. Uh, developing design-based habits. First, you have to have truth. What, 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 is, what is the attribute? What is the habit? What, what is it that God says in his word? I have to find in incentivizing or finding in incentivizing design-based vision. I want to be compassionate like Christ. There's the vision. There's, and it incentivizes me. It motivates me. I need, to, I need to know what my target is. And then training. First, there's truth and there's training. Develop a design-based strategy with supportive structures. Structures are so important. If we don't create structures to develop in, look at it on a simple level. Let, let's say you want to get in shape. Well, you get in shape, you got to have some structure, right? You got to have an exercise routine. You got to have some, some information about what to eat, what not to eat. You got to maybe buy some clothes to, to go exercise with. You got to have structure. Maybe, maybe you need a training partner. You have to figure out a structure. It won't work. Let me go back. Develop a design based strategy with supportive structures. 
And then you get this one, transformation. Progressive development of a design-based identity. Listen, the person that starts out uh, playing guitar, they're fumbling around, they don't know any of the chords, their fingers feel weird. They, they are not a musician. They can't play the guitar that they buy. But they go and they get lessons and they keep practicing, they keep training and they're practicing and training, practicing. Lo and behold, they become something. They become a musician. They go from somebody that buys a guitar to somebody that is a musician. Doing, it is by doing that we become. The transformation is progressive. It's in training that we are transformed. All right. Let me close with an illustration because I've got to really run fast. We're, we're doing communion this morning too. Uh, there's a guy whose name I'm highly unlikely to pronounce correctly, but I think it's Ram Chandra Das. And uh, I think I have a slide. Ram Chandra Das, when he was 53, uh, who lives in Bihar, India, with just a hammer and a chisel. Okay, picture this. A hammer and a chisel. There's the picture of what he did. He cut a 33-foot-long, 13-foot-wide tunnel through a narrow area of the mountain. It took Das how long, you tell me? 14 years to complete. This stage is about 50 feet wide. Um, I, I could probably walk from end to end on it uh, just to entertain you. Uh, I walked half of it this way. I walked half it back. I don't think that took any more than maybe 20, 30 seconds. That's about, you know, 50 feet. But, but he had to get 33 feet. He cut 33 feet through the tunnel. Do you know why? Because the mountain was such that he had to walk 4.3 miles to get around it anytime he wanted to go buy something. And so he would have to walk about an hour and a half anytime he wanted to get something. Now, when he cut the hole in the mountain, he could make it in, you saw me, 20 seconds. So what once took an hour and a half, that's pretty restrictive, that's difficult, he could now do, he had the freedom to do in maybe 20 seconds. But why? He didn't whine, he didn't complain, he didn't blame the mountain. He didn't blame anybody around him, he didn't blame the government. He, he just decided, I'm going to carve a hole in this thing so that I will be free, and others too, to walk through it in a matter of seconds instead of spending an hour and a half to go, go around it. All right, Randy, what are you getting at? Listen to me carefully. We're all in this boat together. You probably have a habit that you know is not in accord with your design. You know it's not good for you. And you've prayed about it. Maybe you've had others pray about it. Maybe you've even joined a support group for it. But it's still there. And maybe you've even wondered, God, when are you going to free me from this? You know I want to be free from it. When are you going to free me from it? And nothing is changing, really. You have a couple of good days, and then it's bad, and you're up and you're down, you're up and you're down. And maybe you even wonder, God, why don't you hear me? You could, you could instantly just change me. And do you know what God's saying to you? Go buy a hammer and a chisel. And start chiseling away at this. Start 
working a deconstruction process, you, not anybody else, not your therapist, you, me, and let's, let's make a hole in this mountain. This mountain that you want to move so badly, but it's never budging. Pick up a chisel and start chiseling away at this thing. Start developing some good habits, some righteous habits to replace that bad habit. And until you and I pick up the hammer and the chisel, trusting God for the ability, he's given us the vision. He said, whatever I've designed you to be, you can be. Whatever I've designed you to do, you can do. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, it says in Philippians 4.13. Pick up the hammer and the chisel. Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of having your butt kicked by this habit? Aren't you sick of it, the up and down? Aren't you sick of year after year going by and you still haven't formed those righteous, godly training habits that you want? I really want to grow as a Christian. I really want, but, but it never happens, does it? You've got to change your schedule. You've got to change your priorities. You've got to care enough to do the hard work. If you do it, you will find freedom that will shock you. You'll know the truth, and truth will set you free. God desires this for us. He's a good, good father and wants this desperately for us. Do we want what he wants? That becomes the ultimate question. So here's what it comes down to. Choose habits, if I could get that. Choose habits that support God's purposes. I can do that. You can do that. You say, what are God's purposes? Remember, we went through it. I am destined to become a Christ-like version of myself. So I'm going to choose habits that support that, that move me toward that. I have a set of good deeds that God prepared beforehand for me to do. They're part of my developmental process. I'm going to train myself, develop habits that support me doing those things. So... I'm just going to suppose <laughs> that every one of us in here could develop some new godly habits. And I'm going to suppose that every one of us in here probably has some other habits that we know we need to deconstruct, debilitate. So the only real question, is this going to be just another Sunday? Or are you going to allow the Spirit of God to really change your life? You know he wants to. You know he's here. You know he's pulling. You know he's making you feel uncomfortable and arousing your hopes simultaneously. But it's going to take me and you to say, I'm going to go home. I'm going to write it down on a sheet of paper. This is the day that it starts. This is the day that I start cooperating with God's transformational process. And these old habits, this old self, it's, it's going to start being behind me forever and this new self i'm going to run after it i'm going to chase it i'm going to pursue it i'm going to put myself in the appropriate structures and training and, and so that something actually happens i actually become more like christ instead of just desiring it and saying oh well nobody's perfect yeah so let's ask god to give us some courage and maybe ask him to to keep us restless until we address these issues for our own good. Because it's good for us to address these issues. Let's pray. Father, that's our heart's desire. 
that we could fulfill your purposes to become the Christ-like version of ourselves that you desire to do the wonderful things that you call us to do. And we pray that you'll give us courage, that you'll, you'll just root us out from our places of excuse-making, and if need be, that you'll keep us restless until we, we do the things that are ultimately and truly, in your sight, good for us. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.